You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Right. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number four this morning, if you would, Ephesians four. We're continuing our series entitled Alive Together. We've just been going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Uh, this is our 31st week together, and I'm not trying to freak anybody out, but are you ready for this? Tomorrow is October. I don't know where this year has gone. Uh, I heard, I heard, I heard a rumor this week that fall has come. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard that it's on the way, uh, and so uh, it's already fall. It's hard to believe that uh, tomorrow is October the 1st, uh, and so uh, it's been exciting as we've been gone through uh, the book of Ephesians verse by verse together. We find ourselves in Ephesians chapter number four uh, here this morning. If you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at huicala.org. Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast uh, and get caught up that way. Whatever you do, stay on track on these messages. I know that they'll help you. If you want a little bit of extra credit points this week, read ahead through the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you sat down and read the whole book of Ephesians, it probably take you maybe 30 minutes or so uh, if you're a slow reader like me. Uh, but uh, it's a power-packed passage of Scripture uh, here. So much practical application, especially as we get into chapters 4, 5, and 6. Uh, take a look at this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we're going to spend the most of our time today, verses 20 through 24. Uh, but we'll uh, uh, back up to, uh, let's just say, verse number uh, 17. And we'll do a little bit of review of what we took a look at la- uh, last week. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding dark and being alienated from life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and been taught by him as the truth that is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Today we're taking a look at how Jesus, or Paul said to in this passage, uh, that we shouldn't live the same way as the unsaved people live. We should be distinctively different. And then he goes on to tell us how that actually happens. Uh, for me, uh, I, I have so much fun sometimes late at night if we're staying in a hotel or something. We don't have cable ourselves, but if you're staying in a hotel and late at night, you start flipping through the channels, you start seeing all the transformations that they want to sell you, man. I'm telling you this, you want to transform your finances. You can flip real estate and you find some dude who is homeless and broke and now he's a multimillionaire and owns all these multiple properties. And one of the key buzzwords they like to use is passive income. I love that word. If I can ever figure out how to make it work, it would be great. But uh, the idea you just sit back and money rolls in from all your investments, wouldn't that be awesome, right? You flip a couple other channels over, you find some dude who is uh, morbidly obese and hated his life, and then he found uh, some program by Beachbody, and he put him some DVDs, and he started working out in his living room, and now he's ripped with a 12-pack and uh, things like that, and you think to yourself, ooh, I like that too. I want to be rich and have a six-pack, right? Wouldn't that be great? Uh, and, but it's, it's fascinating for me to watch. My wife gets bored with it really easily, but I like to just hear people's stories and see how things have changed for them. Now, mind you, I don't buy into any of it. I've never actually gotten out my credit card and called the 1-800 number before the special offer expires. Uh, That's never happened before. Uh, But I'm fascinated by it, right? We all like transformation stories. We all like some story of how somebody had some big, huge, radical change in their life. But here's the thing that I'm gonna tell you about this because many of us want to see transformation in our life. Many of us want to see big, huge change in our life in one way or another. But the reason that we don't, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret here. Change is hard, it's hard to change. Uh, it's hard to say, this is who I am, but this is no longer who I want to be, and I want to change. It's tough to look inside of ourselves and see things that are lacking that require a little bit of work. It's difficult to look at our lives and step back and objectively say that I need to change, and here's how I'm going to do it. I don't want to discourage you yet as we look at this passage of Scripture, but Paul is saying to the church there, guys, you need to change. And I don't want you to change to be like me. I want you to change to be like Jesus. And you look at that and you go, 
I could change to be like maybe this guy over here, but to change like Jesus, how would you ever accomplish that? And here's the good news. You don't have to send away $39.99 plus shipping and handling and processing charges to find out how to change. The Bible tells us here in this passage. It's very, very simple. It's not some big, huge, long process that we have to go through, that we have to make sure we check all the boxes. It's very, very simple, this transformation that should come about in the life of a Christian. We see, first of all, that uh, we're challenged not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed to be like Jesus. The whole goal of the life of a Christian is to live like Jesus. The word Christian in itself literally means little Christ. We're supposed to be a small imitation of Jesus Christ and who he is. Can you imagine what would happen to our church? Just, just the people gathered here together this morning. If every single one of us for the next seven days would live exactly like Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen in our homes? Can you imagine what would happen in our community? Can you imagine what would happen in our workplace? Can you imagine what would happen on our streets Man, incredible things would happen. But what if that went further? What if people outside of our church that named the name of Christ really started to live like Jesus every single day? Not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day. What would that look like? That would be radical transformation. That's the goal. The idea, again, that Christians would gather together on a Sunday morning for uh, an hour or so and sing some songs and go home uh, is not found anywhere in the Bible. That's not a biblical concept but a group of people that would gather together that are so committed to Jesus that they would go out and radically change their community. That is a biblical idea that I really want to get behind and I want you to get behind it with me. But it requires change and change is hard. And let me just tell you this, change doesn't come about by willpower. I'm just gonna knuckle up and get it done. I've done a lot of dumb things in my life just out of sheer willpower. Uh, the, the easiest way to motivate me, and unfortunately, uh, my youngest son is the exact same way. The easiest way to motivate me to do something is to say, I don't think you can do that. Oh, I will show you that I can do that. And I'm not just gonna do it. I'm gonna do it well uh, because you told me that I couldn't. Oh, man, uh, my, my son Vanderlei, he's uh, 16. He's the exact same way that I am. Uh, we'll be at the gym. And he says, Dad, do you think I can lift that? I go, I don't think so. I think it's too heavy for you. He's like, no, I think I could. No, I don't want you to hurt yourself. Just stand back, you know. Uh, let me take some of that weight off of it for you. Probably be like, no, no, let me try one. No, I don't think you can do it. And that kid will just turn beet red in the face, <laughs> veins popping out everywhere. He's going to do it because I said that he couldn't. <laughs> you can't live the Christian life that way. You can't just knuckle up and just get through it and grind it out and make it happen. It doesn't work that way. The Christian life is not something that you do one time and then you check it off your list and you're done. It's something that you do every single day, multiple times a day with every single decision that you have to make. That's the Christian life and you can't just change by sheer willpower. It does not last. You need something greater than yourself to bring about this change. You see, by ourselves, we don't have anything good to offer ourselves this world or the people around us. The Bible says that all of us have turned our back on God and all of us have rebelled against him. And every single person here today, every single person in the world today has sinned against God. I've sinned against God and you have too. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, we can't be useful to God because we've rebelled against God. God can't bring good stuff from our lives because we're constantly breaking his rules. If you were just to take a look at the Ten Commandments, there's not a person in this room that's kept all Ten Commandments. None of us. You might say, well, I've never killed anybody before. Jesus says if you look at your brother with anger and your hatred in your heart towards him, you've committed murder in your heart. They say, well, I've never committed adultery before. Jesus says, you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery against him. We've broken God's laws. And here's the worst part about us breaking God's law. Many times we do it and we don't feel bad about it because we're just so bent about going our own way and doing our own thing. And and deep down inside, we know we need to change. We know something needs to give, but we just don't know how to do it. And we've sinned against God. And what that does is our sin doesn't bring us closer to God. It brings us further and further and further away from God. You see, God is holy, he's perfect, he's without sin, and he can't be near anything that has to do with sin. 
You see, when you try to come to God with your sin, it's like two magnets that you flip over with opposing poles. They push each other away. You try to come to God with your sin, God says, "Uh uh-uh, I can't. And God gives you this stiff arm and pushes you away because your sin has created distance between you and God. Now, ultimately, your major problem that you have is not only distance from God in this life, but when you die and God has given you this stiff arm because of your sin, you'll be separated from God for all of eternity. And God has a place prepared for those who have rejected him, who die in their sins, and it's called hell, and it's a bad place. And I don't really like to talk about it. Some people feel uncomfortable when you talk about hell, but it's a real place that burns with real fire for all of eternity, and there's no second chances after that. The idea that we die and then we pay for our sins and then eventually we all go to heaven isn't a concept that's found anywhere in the Bible whatsoever. You die, you're going one of two places, heaven or hell, and you don't go to heaven because you're a good person or because you came to church. The default destination for every person on planet Earth is hell. Default but God loves you. God doesn't want you to be separated from him. God doesn't want distance from you. God doesn't want to keep you at arm's length. God wants you to come to him because he loves you. But you can't come to God when you're continuing to rebel against him. You can't come to God when you're still his enemy. You can't come to God when you're actively disobeying him. So something's got to change. You can't come to God with your sin, so your sin has to be cared for before you can come to to God. And the good news is, because of God's love for you, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. So that we don't have to die and be separated from God for all of eternity. Jesus died in our place. Jesus died for our sins. And because of God's love for me, because of God's love for you, Jesus died in your place to give you the opportunity to be forgiven of your sins. Now, The final idea of this is that you've got to make a decision for yourself. Are you willing to accept the forgiveness that's given to you? Are you willing to leave your sin behind to follow after Jesus? If so, the Bible says you can be saved, saved from your sin, saved from a purposeless life, saved from punishment to come in eternity. You can be saved and given a new home in heaven if you would repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus. Very, very simple. The Bible calls it being saved or being born again. And Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. There's no other way to heaven other than putting your faith in Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Only way to heaven is through Jesus. And let me tell you this. Without Jesus, your transformation is just behavior modification. You're just trying to change some bad habits if you don't have Jesus in your life. You're just trying to be a good person if you don't have Jesus in your life. And know this, just being a good person will get you to hell when you die. I didn't misspeak when I said that. Just being a good person will get you to hell when you die. Jesus is the only way. You've got to put your faith in him. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, If you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, today is your day. Today is your day to say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I'm willing to ask for forgiveness of my sins, leave them behind and follow Jesus. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know for sure that you're saved If not, today is your day to make sure that you're saved. This is what begins the process of transformation. It begins with a change of my heart and a change of my soul. And the Bible says that when I put my faith in Jesus, inside me now comes the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit can now bring change about in my life. Some people will say, well, do I really need to change that much? Yeah, you do, because Jesus calls us to be distinct. You see, God creates things with distinction. God created day, and he also created night. And while there might be that fuzzy period where the, the sun's going down uh, in the, at night, where you say, I'm not sure if it's day or if it's night, or night's on its way and day is going away, uh, night and day is pretty well easy to distinguish. <laughs> if you ever fallen asleep to take a nap uh, at like three o'clock in the afternoon, you wake up and it's dark outside and everybody's gone to bed, and you're just like, what happened, Right? There's no wondering, like, 
I wonder if it's still, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon. No, the lights are out. It's dark outside. It's time to go to bed, right? There's no wondering. It's distinct. Life or death. Now, I've never met anybody who's just kind of alive but mostly dead. You're either alive or you're dead. I've never met somebody before who is kind of saved, kind of not saved. You're either saved or you're not. God creates things with distinction. And again, this is going to be unpopular to say in today's society, but we as Bible-believing Christians have to say what the Bible says. God created man and woman, male and female, with distinction. He created them differently from one another. Not that one's better than the other, but they're different. God creates things with distinction. God created his children to be distinct, set apart, different from everybody else. If you are a Christian and you name the name of Christ, you should be different from everyone else. Now again, we took a look at last week what that means. It doesn't mean that we all have to wear the same kind of clothes. It doesn't mean that we all have to uh, dress the same. Uh, there, there are uh, folks that call themselves Christians who say that everybody has to drive a black car. I'm not making that one up. Everybody has to wear black clothes. There's folks who call themselves Christians that wear the, the funny hats with the buckles on it still. There's churches where you have to ride a horse and buggy to church because you can't have electricity and stuff like that. Hey, we're not saying that we gotta be distinct in that way. We're distinct in our behavior. We're distinct in the way that we live our lives. Our lives point people to Jesus. Not that we're weirdos, not that we have to have bumper stickers on our car or wear Christian t-shirts when we go to the gym, but the fact that we're different in the way that we live our lives. That sets us apart. That's what we're called to. And you say, well, I don't know that there's a big distinction. Then you're doing it wrong. If, again, I grew up in a church where all of my Christian friends at church were the exact same as my unsaved friends at school, went to public school. And there was no distinction between them. They all cursed. Uh, they all looked at pornography. They were all sexually involved. Uh, they were all uh, go to parties and drink and smoke dope and stuff like that. There was no distinction whatsoever. And I remember even as a 16-year-old boy saying to myself, I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I know that this shouldn't be the case. And I became very disenfranchised with the idea of, quote, organized religion. It's funny when people say that, do you want disorganized religion? I don't want that. But, uh, but the idea is this, I became very frustrated with the idea of church that if we're not gonna be distinct, let's just all split up and do our own thing then. And unfortunately, many people have come to that realization that I don't need church because church is just a, full of a bunch of hypocrites. I can worship Jesus on my own. I don't need the church. That is an anti-biblical idea. Jesus loves the church and gave himself for it and you and I need one another. But what we don't need is a bunch of hypocrites. We need to be the real deal. We need to be transparent. We need to follow after Jesus. We need to be distinct. And when we struggle, it's okay to say, I'm struggling. I could use some help in this area. Sometimes people say, well, I don't want to follow Jesus because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I always tell them there's always room for one more. Uh, but the idea is this. A hypocrite puts on a fake front. Everything's good. Praise the Lord. Amen. I love Jesus all that other stuff, and then goes home and does the exact opposite. They take off the mask, and they're another person altogether. A hypocrite is not a person who's really trying to live for Jesus, but just struggling. You know what that's called? That's called being a Christian. That's called being real. You know, I know what I should do. I'm just struggling to do that. If you read through any of Paul's writings, Paul confesses his sin to, to folks uh, that would be recorded in history for thousands of years. Hey, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not doing it. I know what I'm not supposed to do, and that's the stuff that I'm always doing. I know that in me, that it's in my flesh, well, of no good thing. And it's okay to say, I'm struggling, I could use some help. Could you guys pray for me? I'm really struggling with sin this week, and I'm praying for victory over that. That's a good thing. That's not being hypocritical at all. We need that in our lives. But we have to be distinct. As we take a look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, take a look at verse number 20. Watch this back up to verse number 18. He's talking about the Gentiles and the unsaved people that are having their understanding dark in verse 18, being alienated from the life in God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. They live this way, but you, nah, you can't do that. You know about Jesus. Things are different for you. 
You see, we found a new way of living in Jesus. They don't know any better. It says through the ignorance. Uh, they didn't know that Jesus gave them a new way of living, but you know, and you can't live like that anymore. Again, we live in a society today where we want to blend church with the world and remove all distinction. And I'm for, please hear this, I'm for having a church that's welcoming to unbelievers. We should be a church that's welcoming to unbelievers. And if you're here today and you don't know, you're trying to figure your faith out, you're in a very good place for that. But we're not going to blur the line to where people say, is this a church or, or not, you know? Is this, is this a church or is this like, kind of like a concert or is this kind of like a, a comedy stand-up routine that this guy does? No, no, we need to be distinct. We're different. And know this, if an unbeliever comes to our church, they should feel welcomed by us as a family. And I believe we do a bang-up job of that. But at some point, people are going to feel uncomfortable when we begin to talk about sin because the Bible's an uncomfortable book. Paul says here to the church at Ephesus, you guys, you don't get to live like everybody else does. And if you are, knock it off. If you're living like the unsaved man, grow up. And you say, well, that's pretty direct. I know the Bible's uncomfortable sometimes. But we're supposed to be different. You know why? Because we've learned about Jesus Christ. You see, we know Jesus by salvation Again, if you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home, today's your opportunity. You don't have to take a class. Uh, nobody needs to confirm you. or no, You don't have to answer any questions for anybody. You just have to put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to be saved. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to uh, sit through some class. You don't have to uh, come up before the church and tell your story or anything like that. You just have to put your faith in Jesus. And we know Jesus through salvation. That's how we meet Jesus John 1, verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. If there's been for you a day in your life where you were saved or born again, you were adopted into the family of God and you're a, a son or daughter to God now because of what Jesus has done for you. And because you're a child of God, you're different now. Secondly, we're taught about Jesus. We're taught by Jesus through discipleship. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your soul. You see, step one is salvation. Step two is discipleship. Discipleship is learning to be a committed follower of Jesus. If you've been hanging around for who we call it for any length of time, you know that we're really serious about a few things. First of all, we love the Bible here. Second of all, we're really big on people knowing for sure that their sins are forgiven and heaven's their home. Third, we're really big on growing Christians to be mature followers of Christ through discipleship. Those are some things that are just some big rocks for us. It's the big deal. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship because Jesus himself says, I want you to learn of me. Because the more that you learn about Jesus, the more you're gonna love Jesus. The more that you learn about the teachings of Jesus, the more you'll know about life. The more that you seek after Jesus, the more joy that you'll find from the life that you live. And so Jesus says, I want you to know about me. I want you to follow me. And I want you to find this new way of living you see, we're commanded to be different from the world. Again, we're to be distinct. The book of James says that friendship with the world is, makes you an enemy of God. It's not a matter of not loving the people that are in the world. It's a matter of not loving the world's way of doing things. I'm not gonna buy into the system of the world that success will make me happy. I'm not gonna buy into the system of the world that says material things will make me happy. I'm not gonna buy into the lie of the world that says I need to be validated by what other people think of me. I'm not gonna fall in love with that. I'm not gonna value my self-worth by my number of followers on Instagram, for heaven's sakes. I'm gonna find my worth in Christ. I'm gonna find my validation in being a child of God. I'm gonna find my joy by seeking after God like I never have before in my life. Three-step process for this. Again, I told you the transformation process really easy. Verse number 22. Let's start in verse number 20. But you've not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus let me just pause here for just a second. The last phrase, the truth is in Jesus. Know this, the world is a liar. The devil is a liar. The truth is found in Jesus. And you can find Jesus in his word. The Bible, you need it in your life. I need it in my life. And the truth is found in Jesus. The world will say things that are at odds with what the Bible says. Just know 
The truth is found in Jesus. That's where we want to live. But verse number uh, 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, or conversation there means the way that you used to live your life. You're going to put away the old way that you used to live your life, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. So first of all, we see we must put off the old man. In my Bible, in in Ephesians here, I have, in verse number 22, I have underlined the words put off because we're going to see the three-step process. The first step is that I put off concerning the old man. Now, it's important to understand that this is a one-time decision that I make to follow Jesus. This is the time when I'm saved or born again. In the the Greek uh, tense of this, which was the original language that was written, was an idea that is once, a decision that's made once and then has lasting effects after that. This is not something putting off the old man, something that I have to do every single day. My old man was put to death with Jesus the day that I put my faith in Jesus. The day that you were saved or born again was the day that your old man was put to death. I was nine years old when I put my faith in Jesus. And I hadn't gotten into a lot of trouble uh, by nine years old. I wasn't smoking crayons in the playground with my friends or anything like that. But I knew I needed Jesus. I knew it. And the day that I did, my old man was put to death. And I became a new creature according to what the Bible says. And so my old way of thinking went away. You see, our old man is corrupt and was put to death. It was no good whatsoever. I don't know if you're like me, but you, if, you, if you buy stuff at the grocery and you have every intention of making dinner or making lunch with stuff that you buy at the grocery, and then you forget that it's in the fridge, and like a week later, you're like, oh, I forgot about that ground beef. Oh, man. And it was organic, free-range, grass-fed, no hormones, no antibiotics. And you look on the back, and it's like three days expired. What do you do with it? My wife, oh, not even gonna, she's not even going to chance it. She's going to throw it out. Me, on the other hand, you cut it open. And what do you do? You smell of it, right? <laughs> Smells like ground beef to me. <laughs> kind of look at the color of it. doesn't look like it's turned uh, any green anywhere. I'm colorblind, so I'm a really bad judge of that anyways. <laughs> I, I do the smell test. And then I cook it, and my wife tells me, you're going to be sick, you're going to die. I'm not coming to visit you when you get put in the hospital. It's like, it's fine, I'll be all right. I'm a big boy, you know. What do you do, man? It's, it's starting to expire. It might already be expired. You try to redeem it. You try to save it, right? And, man, you're going to throw it out at the very last minute if you have to, if you absolutely have to. The old man, you can't save him. He's corrupt, it's rotten to the core. There's nothing redeemable about the old man. Do you get, get what I say with that? Your old man is completely and totally corrupt, the Bible says, with deceitful lusts. Your old man is a liar, and he's rotten to the core, and he cannot be restored. It's not a matter we're going to put a fresh coat of paint on this and hope that it passes the test. It's got to die. And the old man was put to death Romans 6, 6 says it this way, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, speaking of Jesus, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should henceforth not serve sin. Our old man was self-centered and futile. Those deceitful lusts that it speaks of. The old man was all about me and what I could get out of for me was self-centered. There was nothing good, nothing useful left in the old man. And let me just tell you this. When the devil tries to come and tells you that your old sinful ways were a lot more fun, just remember that he's a liar. I can't tell you how many Christians that I've counseled and said, oh, I just wish I could go back to one last night out with the girls and go out and get, get drunk and, and flirt with guys, not do anything wrong, but just flirt a little bit. There's no fun there. I promise you that. The Bible says that sin ends in death and destruction. Nothing good ever comes from sin. Oh, I just wish I could go back and have a few more beers and and, and smoke a little bit and, and, and get buzzed. There's no fun found there, I promise you that. The end is destruction. Oh, I wish you could go back to, to high school and, and be sexually promiscuous and I missed out on so many things. You didn't miss out on anything. Sin brings destruction 100% of the time. And your old man was selfish, self-serving, and he had to die. 
But it's funny, Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Dogs do some of the most disgusting things in the world. Wouldn't you agree with that? And dogs are just dumb, too. I, I told you guys before, I wanted, uh, when we left uh, California to, to come to Hawaii, we had a, um, it was a, a dog we got at the pound. He was a bull mastiff Rottweiler mix. And he was just a puppy. He was so adorable, uh, adorable a puppy. And he was starting to grow up. And then we had to leave. We ended up giving him to a friend and stuff. But it was a man's dog, you know? Like you could walk this down the, the sidewalk and feel like a man, right? Like I wanted to get like a, a chain link chain for him, you know? Just put a dog on a chain and carry it around, you know? Man's dog. We moved here, and my wife and my girls ganged up against me, and we wound up with a three-and-a-half-pound Maltese. <laughs> it's like the size of a small cat. This is not a dog. I will never walk this dog, right? <laughs> if you put a chain around the neck of this dog, it would die. That's how small it is, right? Oh, my word. I don't know where I was going with that story, but it was good. <laughs> oh, dogs do dumb stuff, and then, Right? But this dog is legitimately dumb, legitimately dumb. It watch, my dog sits and watches TV, and when another dog comes on TV, it barks at that dog. And it's just like, it's not real. You, you, and you take a dog out in public and get scared of other dogs to bark, but you bark at dogs on TV. Some tough dog you are, right? But one of the most disgusting things that our dog does is when she throws up, what does she do? She circles back around and eats it, Right? Because here's the thing with my kids. My kids wanted the dog. You want the dog, you're going to clean up after the dog. Can I get an amen with that, right? You want the dog, you're going to feed the dog, clean up after the dog, bathe the dog, take care of the dog. Dad's not doing this because it's your dog. You got that? Good. So then the dog throws up, and the kids are like, oh, clean it up, Dad's like, I'm not touching that. It's your dog. Clean it up, right? And before my daughter, Makili, could go get something to clean up the vomit, she comes back, and she goes, Dad, did you clean it up? I didn't clean it up. It's gone. Yeah, it's our dumb dog. What, what, what living being throws up and goes, ooh, that might taste good the second time, right? Mm, mm, mm. No. But you look at that and go, ooh, that's gross. Here's what the Bible says. Here's a biblical application. You do the same thing when you go back to your sin again and again and again. You're eating your own vomit. That's disgusting. What's wrong with you? Oh, I thought it might be different this time. It's not going to be different. Sin is sin. It's disgusting. There's nothing there for you. There's no nutritional value in it, I guess you could say, right? Don't go back there again. You've been set free from that. And if you continue to struggle with sin again and again, and you're taking notes this morning, write down Romans 6. Romans 6 talks about the fact that you don't have to serve sin anymore. You've been set free from sin. Stop living that way. And for the Christian today who is hung up in sin, let me just tell you this, you're better than that because you've been saved from that. Don't go back there again. You need help? You got a dude right here who's willing to help you. Ladies, you're struggling. I'd love to, to have you and my wife go to grab lunch and talk about what you're struggling with, but here's what you can't do. You cannot continue in your sin because you're different. You're a child of God now. You can't live that way any longer. The transformation has to begin it's up to us to walk in the freedom of sin. We've got a choice to make. Again, Romans 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. You've got to make the decision to live free from your sin every single day. You cannot continue in your old way and still follow Jesus. It doesn't work. You can't go your old way and still follow Jesus. They're two different directions. You've come to a crossroad. Either you continue going your old way or you turn and follow Jesus. You can't go both ways. It doesn't work that way. You've got to make a choice to follow Jesus. And know this, to hold on to your sin is to refuse God. You want to hang on to your sin? You are actively rebelling against God and refusing Him. That's heavy stuff, folks. As a parent, and I tell my kids to do something and they talk back to me or they disobey, it gets on every fiber of my being. Hey, take out the garbage. I'll take it out later. Oh, no, you won't. You'll take it out 
now. Well, can I finish what I'm doing? No, you can't. It'll only take a minute. I don't care. Take it out. Right? And that's just something like the garbage. God gives you clear commandments that are not here for his convenience. God doesn't need you to do his work because he doesn't have anybody else to do it. God gives you commandments because he wants to preserve your, are you ready for it? Preserve your joy. He wants to give you the good life. He's leading you into a path of fulfillment, of love and joy and peace. And he's guiding you in that. And you're just like, yeah, I'll do that later. Yeah, not right now. I'm busy with doing my own thing. And I can't imagine the heart of God when his children actively rebel against him. Yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't want to do that right now. I know what I should do in this situation. I'm just not really all that interested. I know I should ask for your help, but I think I've got this handled. I can't imagine the heart of God towards his children when we act that way. But when you choose to hang on to your sin after it's been put to death, after Jesus has already paid the price of that sin and you hang on to it, you're actively rebelling against God. And let me just tell you, that's a dangerous place to be. Because the Bible says that God chastens or corrects and disciplines his children. That if you're a child of God and you're rebelling against God, God's not gonna let you stick your tongue out at him forever because he loves you too much. He's gonna correct you and bring you back into a right relationship with him. So we see the old man has to die. That happened the day we put our faith in Jesus, but we can't go back to that corrupt man again. Secondly, verse 23, Ephesians chapter four, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We have to renew our minds. So in my Bible, I underlined put off and I underlined be renewed. Those are two of the three steps we gotta do today. And you can probably, if you wanna read ahead, you can figure out what the third one is, but don't do it yet. Don't do it. Next, I have to renew my mind. The world wants to corrupt my mind. The world wants to sell me lies. Media, entertainment of this world wants to tell me things that are not true about myself and about this world. And we must renew our minds by changing the way that we think. Know this, whatever comes into your mind goes to your heart. Whatever comes to your heart comes out in your words and your actions. But it all starts with a thought in our mind. That's why the Bible says we need to renew our mind. Scrub it down, flush it out, and I can't allow the world to control what I think. What are some ways, help me with this this morning, what are some ways that the world influences us today? Somebody help me with that. Media, right? Television shows, music, movies. You say, well, they don't control the way I thought. They're just entertainment. Nothing is just entertainment. Just know that. Everything has an agenda. Just know that. I remember it was probably the uh, late 90s. The very first ever gay kiss was on the, uh, the Ellen Show. Uh, she, had a, she had a sitcom that she had, the very first ever gay kiss on broadcast television. And it was such a big, huge deal then. Folks, I don't know if you watched anything on TV, but we're like way past that. We're way past that. But it started with media saying, this is okay, it's not a big deal. We have television shows that normalize sexual assault. That's not normal. And it's not entertainment either. We have music that normalizes violence against women, drug use, and filthy language. It's not normal. It shouldn't be normal. But media has programmed us that it's all right. It's not that big of a deal. Christians, we should be distinct in the music that we listen to, in the television shows that we watch, in the movies that we watch, the entertainment that we subscribe to, the websites that we visit. We should be different in every single one of those areas because we're called to be different. What's another way that the world influences us? What's that? Over-spiritualization, right? Going to the opposite extreme. Everything's spiritual, right? What else? Politics. Oh, man. And we get people riled up, talk about politics and religion, right? Here, here's how sensitive people are to this. This is no lie. Uh, this happened probably uh, nine months or so ago. Uh, I had mentioned from the pulpit that we need to pray for the leadership of our country, especially our president, 
right? I said, that was just all I said. And we got a connection card. It was anonymous because they always are. A uh, connection card that said, please stop with the anti-Trump subliminal messages from the pulpit. I look at that and I go, what? I said, pray for a prayer. The Bible says we should pray for those in leadership. Okay. But you know what? Somebody, that was their hot button issue. And the fact that I would say pray for our president instead of impeach him, I guess, made people mad. And so, uh, I don't know. But man, politics, man. Uh, you know, I, I, t- I tell you, too much Fox News and CNN will, will scramble your brain, right? Man, we got to love each other and take care of each other and, and point people to Jesus. What's another way that the world influences us and programs us? What's that? Structure of your home, right? God has a plan of the way things are supposed to work, but we, it works differently for other people, right? I mean, not everybody has the, what the Bible says, and I guess it works out okay for them, you know? And again, we, we have television shows that show, you know, um, I don't let my kids watch a lot of television uh, that they shouldn't watch. I screen everything that they watch, but the, some of the shows that they watch, the dad's just this big, dumb, goofy dude who's the butt of every joke, uh, and mom runs the show or the kids run the show and stuff like that. And I look at that and I go, wait, 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 you're programming our children that dad's an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about. These are like shows on Disney and stuff, okay? Uh-uh. But media programs our kids about the structure of the home. What are some other ways? Magazines, books, periodicals. Man, you go to Barnes & Noble, you'll be super confused about life, right? What else? There's somebody over here. Friends. The people that are around, around me that influence me. Know this, you're being influenced by the people you spend time with. Whether you believe it or not, you are. Uh, and you, that's why we need to take great care of the people I surround myself with. You might not be able to change your coworkers, but you can cho- choose the people that you choose to spend time with for sure. What else? Somebody over here. School system, you got it. Education system is not just presenting the facts. They have an agenda, how they want to shape your kids. And at a young age, they want to tell, talk to your kids about sex and uh, gender fluidity. At a young age, hey, look, just teach my kids how to read and write. Oh, no, we're graduating kids that can't read and write, but they know all about sex, right? Again, I can't allow that to influence my family. I've got to be different. I've got to be distinct. I'm not going to let the world run my show. I've got to renew my mind because everything else just totally messes it up. Education, politics, movies, music, friends. The world influences me to the point where I don't know what to think anymore. That's why my mind's got to be renewed. How do we do that? We must move from thinking culturally and begin thinking biblically. I cannot allow the culture to dictate my thought process. I cannot allow the culture to dictate the way that I think. I must, must allow the word of God to influence and inform my thinking. I've got to. And sometimes you might have to say something like, hey, I know this might seem old-fashioned to you, but our family just believes this. Hey, it might seem weird that I don't let my kids go out and hang out till two o'clock in the morning over at somebody's house and their parents aren't around, but I guess we're just old-fashioned. We don't do stuff like that. Our family doesn't watch R-rated movies and that might seem old-fashioned to some, but that's, I believe, what's what's one of the things that honors God. Hey, we don't watch television shows with nudity and lots of foul language and uh, inappropriate things that I don't want my kids to see, but I personally myself don't want to see. And that might be a little bit weird, but that's just who I am. Hey, I don't want to go out and get ridiculously drunk with you guys after work tonight. You know, I'd rather just go home and spend time with my wife and my kids. And I know that might seem weird, but that's okay. Distinct, different. How do we do that? We do it by changing our thinking to be in line with the Bible. This is done by immersing ourselves in the Bible and yielding to the Holy Spirit. I challenge you as your pastor to be in the Word of God every single day of the world. Every day, without fail. Why? Because we have to allow the Word to change our thinking. We have to immerse ourselves in the Word every single day. Again, you watch Fox News every single day, it will influence your thinking on everything that there is to know about life. I promise you that. You read the Bible every single day and make it a central focus of your day. It'll change everything that you think about and the way that you behave, the way that you act. I promise you that. Romans chapter 12, verse number two, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Final thought here this morning. We must put on the new man. So put off, underlined, be renewed, underlined, and put on, I have underlined. Those six words tell us how this transformation takes place. I put off the old man the day that I got saved and continue to let the old man die. 
I change my thinking every single day to be more in line with the Bible. I don't allow the culture to influence me. I don't allow media, social media to influence me. I allow the Bible to influence me. And it's important to understand this is not a reconditioned version of the old man. This is not just, I'm gonna take off the old man, try to clean him up a little bit, and then put him back on. No, 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 no. God doesn't do the cleanup business. God doesn't do the restoration business. He does the regeneration business. The old thing died and something new came of it instead. It's not just a cleaned up version of your old self. There's to be a radical difference, a transformation in our life. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Colossians 3 says that we are renewed by our knowledge of Jesus and everything that he's done for us. The old man was self-centered and useless. Our new man is Jesus-centered and purposeful. You see, when I put off the old man and the way that he used to live his life and the things that he used to do and the sin that he was involved with, I renewed my mind and now I put on the new man. I'm putting on Jesus Christ. I am now what the Bible says in Christ and I'm a new creature in Christ. And now I'm no longer doing my own thing. I'm not looking for what I can get out of it. I'm looking for what Jesus can get out of my life. And I'm telling you what, that's what gives us purpose. Hey, look, if you're looking at life for what you can get out of it, oh, I can't wait till I get this degree. I can't wait till I get this job. Maybe if I get this promotion. Maybe if I move to this new place. Maybe if we get a sweeter place to, to live. Maybe if I get a nicer car. Maybe if I had more money in the bank. Maybe if I could take that vacation. Know this. At the end of that, you will always be wanting more. Always. Because there will always be a better vacation to take that you missed out on. <laughs> you go on a seven-day cruise, there was a 14-day cruise. How about that? And you go on the 14-day cruises, you know they have like 30-day cruises? I didn't even know stuff like that happened. Be on a boat with people for 30 days, I would die. Right? Let me off of this thing. If you have a, car, a nice car, there's always one better than yours. Always. Hey, if you bought the new iPhone XS, which is name XS, right? Come on, let's just say just know this, you got 12 months until yours is old hat and you'll probably get 200 bucks from it, right? 12 months, that's all it takes. It will not last. But I'm telling you this, you live your life Jesus-centered, everything changes. Sure, you'll never be able to get enough of Jesus, but you'll always be wanting more. And you'll find purpose and fulfillment. You'll find joy, you'll find peace. You'll find a sense of purpose. This is what I was made for. This is who I am, not in myself, in my flesh. This is who I am in Jesus, and this is why he created me, to serve him, to worship him, to love him, and to tell other people about him. This is the good stuff. This is what I've been looking for. Yeah! That's what the new man does for you. And if you say, I'm not there yet, keep renewing that mind. Keep putting on the new man every single day, and you'll get there. I promise you that. That's where the good stuff is found. Final thoughts this morning. First of all, ask yourself these questions. Have I seen radical change by Jesus in my life or simply small incremental change? Since you met Jesus, or let's just say maybe in the last 12 months, have you seen big changes in your life or just small changes here and there? Oh, I didn't read my Bible at all, but I read it like once a month now. That's an incremental change, and it's a good incremental change to have. But Jesus isn't in the incremental change business. He's in the transformation business. He's not in the, let's just try a little bit better. He's in the, I'm getting ready to rework this so that people don't recognize you anymore. That's transformation. Are you seeing that in your life? Next, am I being transformed to be more like Jesus or am I stuck? It happens. I've been there before. I get there sometimes. I just get stuck in a rut. I'm not seeing progress in my life. I'm not seeing uh, myself change the way that I want to. And I just get stuck doing the same things over and over and maybe even doing less. If that's you today, I'm gonna challenge you with this. Make a commitment today to take it up a notch. And for you, you know what your take it up a notch looks like. Maybe it's in the Word every day. Maybe it's more faithful in your church attendance. Maybe you come on Sunday mornings, you should try Sunday nights. Maybe you need to be a part of a connect group on Wednesday night where you're uh, held to accountability with other believers in our church. Maybe there's sin in your life that needs to go so that Jesus can have whole reign over your life. I don't know what it is, but chances are you probably do. 
Lastly, is there any area of my life that I'm allowing the old man to have his way? Is there any way, any place in my life that I'm dead to this, but I still keep going back to it? It's like that stupid dog that eats its own vomit. I'm going back to my old sin, thinking I'll find fulfillment there, but it's just not there. Is there an area of your life that you need to say, God, I'm done returning to my own vomit. I really want to move past this. I really want to move forward. I really want to find the good stuff, which is found in Jesus. I don't know about you, but this kind of change that we're talking about today, oh, they don't make infomercials about this. Oh, look at Bob. You know, he was living for himself. Now he's living for Jesus. Look at Bob. He was sad before. Now he has the joy of Jesus. Look at Bob. He's not going out drinking with the guys anymore. He's home with his family. Be just like Bob. Send $29.99 plus shipping and handling. And nobody's going to buy that. You know why? Because the world doesn't want that. The world wants to lose 75 pounds in three weeks. The world wants to go on the Hollywood diet. The world wants to know how to plump their uh, lips and to shape their eyebrows. But you and I, we're different. You know why? Because we don't walk the same way the other world, the world walks. We're different. We're distinct. We know that the size of your lips and the shape of your eyebrows is something that's all going to burn one day. And one of these days, I'm going to stand face to face with the person who made me, and I want to say that I did my best. That's where the good stuff's found. We're different. Let's live like we're different. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again. Today's your day. This is your opportunity. You'll never see transformation until you start by being a child of God. That's step one. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, today's your opportunity to make that right with God.